The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pod to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 14 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Happy New Year to all of you. I hope that 2017 has gotten off to a great start for you. I got a nice little break during the last few days of 2016, but now I am back at it again, full steam ahead to get the New Year off on the right path. I'll be teaching a seven-week series at Broadway Dance Center beginning this evening. That's Friday, January 6th uh, at 6 p.m. And I'll be teaching advanced beginner ballet classes at Broadway Dance Center every Friday at 6 through uh, the end of February. I believe it's February 24th. Um, so stop on by if you want to work on your Raganova technique and get some Balanchine style as well. The class level can be confusing at advanced beginner, so let's clear that up just a little bit. It's closer to intermediate than beginner, but it includes just a bit more breakdown and explanation of steps. So if you uh, want to join me and you are at that level, or if you are more advanced and you want to just slow down and, and really work on your technique a little bit, this might be the right class for you. And as always, if you are one of my listeners, please be sure to let me know after class, because I love to meet all of my PDN Pod Chat listeners. <laughs> so, while well, I got to rest for a few days to finish off my insanely busy 2016, many of you may not consider what I did exactly to be rest. That's been one of my problems lately. I say I'm taking a day off, or I say I'm resting, and I end up working on something, or responding to emails, or writing blogs, or things like that. But over the last few days of 2016, my 12-year-old niece joined me for a few days in Philadelphia. Um, and aside from having some good quality time with her gunkles <laughs> and getting to play Life and Clue and walk around Philadelphia, I also gave her some uh, private lessons in ballet. My niece has been taking dance recreationally since she was little, but uh, she recently expressed her wishes to make it something more than that. So, what's a high-caliber professional dancing uncle supposed to do? Duh. <laughs> Pass on as much of his knowledge and experience as he can. So, for three days, I took some time to coach my niece and make sure that she was so exhausted that she literally had to crawl up the final few steps of our third-floor walk-up apartment. <laughs> she literally got to the top four stairs, <laughs> laid down, and crawled the rest of the way to the door as she giggled her way to the top. Uh, so, I think I did my job. I was, I was very proud of her. One thing that I discussed with my niece during our time together was how to get the most out of her classes and uh, also how to maximize the corrections that she is getting, even if she feels like she sometimes isn't getting enough uh, in the form of corrections. Uh, I, I feel that many teachers are pretty solid when it comes to giving actual corrections to students, but as I've continued to explore this 
art of teaching. I've noticed that not all students actually have the tools to accept, digest, understand, and then maximize the corrections that they are getting in class. Taking a correction or fielding teachers to want to correct you is not always an innate quality in a student. Sometimes we need to cultivate students to better take corrections, to utilize them, or just simply to inspire us to want to give them corrections. Because I, I truly believe that dance education is a two-way street. The, the more inspirational student is, and I'm not just saying that they have like a, a beautiful aesthetic and that they, they're naturally talented, um, but uh, it's the idea that a student is hungry for corrections and that they take them and they... Uh, they're able to put them into their body, and then you can actually see the improvement. Uh, that hunger for corrections and that hunger for improvement, that inspires me to want to help a student. Whether they have the aesthetic or whether they truly will have a career in dance, um, I, I'm always, I always look forward to working in a classroom where the students work just as hard and give just as, back, just as much back to me as I can give to them. With all of this in mind, I thought that in today's episode, I would offer my advice on how to field corrections, how best to use them to get the most out of your training, and more. I mean, most people set resolutions in the new year, so what better way to uh, to help you fulfill your dance resolutions than uh, giving you ideas of how to get the most out of your dance training? So, okay, one thing that I am constantly telling students, and I don't know if I've actually mentioned this in a previous podcast. Maybe I have, but I don't think I have. Um, I always tell my students that they need to enter the classroom with a previous correction already in mind from classes that they've had before. I call this your core correction. Uh, it, it's maybe some, it's something you heard that is, uh, it's a bit more general, not so specific that it only uh, applies to one combination, but say if it's something like you've been told to hold your, ab your abdominal muscles in when you're dancing or to make sure that you squeeze your rear end tight together so that you engage those glute muscles, um, and you have that nice connection from the legs into the hips, into the torso, um, or maybe it's your port de bras but I, I believe that you need to enter the classroom with a core correction because if you do that, you always have something to work on whether you are getting corrections in class or not. Uh, pretty much, you're, you're entering class with that correction and anything you get on, any other corrections you get on top of that, it's just icing on the cake. Um, so, yeah, I, I strongly believe that every student needs to enter class with one of these core corrections so they have something to work on throughout class. And if you do that, you will always be improving. You're not sitting around just doing the exercises waiting for the next correction uh, because you, you don't know when those corrections are going to come. You also don't know if they're going to only be specific to that one exercise or if it's going to be a more generalized correction for your dancing as a whole. Uh, also, I think that when you get a correction, you need to be sure that you're being practical with the adjustment. I had a student that uh, every time that I would give her a correction, she was a great student, um, but she was very difficult to work with because every time she got a correction, instead of doing the adjustment that I asked her to do, she would always go way too far. It seemed that she was a bit anxious about perfection and trying to be perfect. Um, but it, it was just too much and it actually turned and it created issues with her alignment because it was always, I was always fixing the alignment and when I would correct it, I'd have to fix the alignment again. So for instance, if a teacher tells you to move your hip bone 
over the ball of your foot. Make sure that you don't pull it beyond the ball of your foot. Uh, or if they ask you to pull your pelvis forward, make sure that you don't tuck your pelvis because uh, perhaps you were in a sway back and they're just asking for you to align your spine. But if you go so far forward, you're going to create a tuck, which is also, it's equally as bad as having a sway back. Uh, like I said, this is this is common among overzealous students, but it can create more problems by making the correction cause a new correction. So my suggestion is to use your eyes in the mirror if possible and try to make your adjustments particular and exact. It's always better to make the adjustment minor unless the teacher says it's way too little or way too much. Make a minor adjustment and then if the teacher needs to adjust it again, they can. But at least you're moving in the right direction if it's a minor adjustment. If, if you make a major adjustment, you're, you're, you could be just throwing everything off. And to move your body completely in the opposite direction, it can be dangerous and jarring to your alignment because your body is not used to it. And it really just defeats the purpose of the correction. All right, next up. So I have two big no-nos that I, uh, I avoided to my best ability throughout my finishing training and my career. I didn't really figure these things out until I started uh, training in uh, pre-professional programs. Uh, but if you can figure this out from the beginning of your training, uh, it's, it's very, very helpful. While an ideal dance studio or company is run by an instructor who has the best intentions in mind for everybody in the entire studio, this isn't always how it works. Not that it's not common, but it isn't always how it works. Even if the instructor tries to be fair and offer all attentive dancers corrections in class, they will likely favor certain dancers and offer them more attention, whether it's per class or if it's for the entire year that you're in the same classes. A dancer can't always help these things, but there are ways to bring more attention in your direction. <laughs> first things first, at Pacific Northwest Ballet, there were certain dancers that I just refused to stand next to, either at bar or in center. <laughs> in fact, I would often avoid going in the same group as these people. Now, I, I didn't do this because I disliked them, or I was frustrated over this person, or I was jealous of them, and I just couldn't be beside them. I, it was actually, I think, a really in intelligent way of going about things. I did this because I knew that those dancers were going to receive attention no matter what. If they were in the back of a group, if they were in the front, if they were in the side, if they were in the corner of a bar or right in the center bar, these were the dancers that were going to get attention from the instructors. So, as I got to know my studio and the dancers in it, I slowly started avoiding the groups that these dancers went in. And I think that this was actually quite genius. If I went in a group missing uh, these dancers, I almost always walked away from the combination having received some type of attention. And in the dance world, getting attention is getting better. So all I wanted to do was get better. So, I always suggest you read your class and your instructor and you try to avoid dancing beside dancers who just naturally attract tension and corrections in class. I always say that dance is a selfish art in order to be the most giving art on stage. So, don't be afraid to be a little selfish in class and look out for your best interests. I, I always tell my dancers, I, I, I want to 
have dancers in my studio and I, when I'm teaching, I want to cultivate dancers to be the most intelligent dancers that are able to take control of their own careers. Um, I'm a little bit beyond that wholly submissive idea as a dancer. I do think that a dancer needs to be submissive as uh, an artist working uh, with choreographers that are painting a picture on stage. But I still do think that dancers should have a voice and they should have uh, a smart approach to things and that they need to really have a strong analysis, uh, strong skills uh, to analyze things in, in, in their careers and in their training. So, yeah, avoid going next to those scene stealers in class. Okay, so my second big no-no in class is to avoid standing near anybody that has the same name as you. <laughs> when I directed Alaska Dance Theater, I had two groups of dancers that always stood together at bar or in center, and it drove me insane. Their names were Molly, Mary, and Marley, and the other ones were Anna and Hannah. I don't know why this always happened, but it was very frustrating for me as an instructor. Every time I gave a correction to one of these five, either someone would raise their hand and ask who I was talking to, or I would accidentally call out the wrong name because they were so close. Uh, it actually reminds me of my training. Um, when I was at the School of American Ballet, I was actually partnered uh, for lecture demonstrations. We would perform outreach for uh, elementary and middle school students that they would bring in to to watch a short performance where we would do little blips of uh, choreography and then talk about it. Um, and I was partnered with Barrett Vance, who uh, eventually became a soloist with Pennsylvania Ballet, and I believe her mom is now uh, involved in Capizio. But anyway, uh, I was partnered with Barrett, and we had to dance together, and it was so confusing because it was always, <laughs> Barrett, fix this, or Barry, fix this. So it was very difficult for us to differentiate between uh, who was actually getting the corrections. So I, I know this is being really nitpicky, but help your teachers out and maximize your possibilities by putting some space between yourself and dancers who share the same or similar names. It helps everybody out and it helps save time so that you have that extra time to dance more and for additional corrections. I, I always say, especially as a student, you should leave class with three corrections in mind. After class, write these three corrections down in your phone notes or maybe email yourself or go old school with a pen and paper, uh, get, get a notepad and, and have a pen in your dance bag. It can be difficult to retain corrections from class to class and from week to week, month to month throughout the entire year because we kind of gauge our, our, our dance classes in the same way that we do a school year. Um, September to, to June or August to June. If you log at least three corrections per class, you can check them before your next one for a refresher or uh, to build your own core correction you're talking or you're sorry you're taking uh, to class and that I spoke about at the beginning of this podcast. Also, it's great to have this log to look back at a few months later. This way that you this way you can gauge your improvement. It's kind of like growing. When you're in a growing stage, when you're going through puberty, uh, you don't see from day to day that you're growing. But if you take a picture of yourself and then six months later and 12 months later, you uh, look at those pictures, you can go, oh my gosh, I, I grew uh, three inches or six inches. Um, it's the same way here. If you log the corrections that you've been receiving uh, and you're and like in the studio, you can't see too much change day to day in your training. But if you log these corrections and then go back 
to them three, six, 12 months later and, and you review them and then you watch yourself dance, you can actually see what you've improved upon. This also serves as a great way to reinstate corrections that may have fallen off your radar. Back when I went to the School of American Ballet, <laughs> I may have been a bit neurotic, <laughs> but we had these huge cork boards in our dorm rooms. I mean, I can't even tell you how big they were, maybe like six feet wide and four feet tall. But after every class, I would grab a pen and a post-it, and I would write down the corrections from class, and then I'd get a push pin, and I would put them on my board. By the end of the school year, my friends referred to the corkboard as my wall of corrections, but it was really cool because I always had access to seeing the corrections I had received, and from class to class, I could check them and see what I needed to work on, and I could put little checks next to one that I felt that I, I got, um, and then I could go back to them, and I could really gauge my improvement and see how far I had, I had gone in just the nine months that I was at the School of American Ballet. So you don't necessarily need to go this far, like my wall of corrections, but hey, I just say find something that works for you. It, it, it is very valuable to have uh, a log of your corrections. Um, and a lot of times when you feel like you're not getting better, uh, if you get down on your dancing for a bit, which happens to all of us, happens to the best of us, uh, it can be helpful to go back to really recognize all of the accomplishments that you have had or made. Alrighty, I think those are a few of the best ideas I have to help you maximize your corrections in class. Remember, corrections are the most important part of class. Whether you are a professional or a student, we receive corrections no matter how old or experienced we are, and there is always something a dancer can do to improve upon their dancing. You never hit 100% as a dancer. You're always striving for it, but it's almost impossible to get to. Well, it's impossible um, because there's it's the art is constantly growing, which means that once you hit 100%, if it were even possible, there would be new things for you to learn. We don't get better if we aren't open to feedback and constructive criticism. In fact, I feel it's almost impossible uh, to have a career without a hunger for seeking out corrections in your daily training. I hope you find these tips on how to maximize corrections in class especially helpful as we enter the new year. Summer program audition season is about to begin, and eventually company and college audition seasons will, will happen come March and, and April. So... I hope that you can use this information to help you. If you have any helpful tips that you use to get the most out of corrections, feel free to reach out to me and let me know your special tricks. I love hearing from my listeners. So, with that said, it has been lovely getting to chat with you into 2017. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod to Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorollis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerollis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcasts or to book masterclasses in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. 
And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcasts on the Premier Dance Network. You can find those on premierdancenetwork.com. That's P-R-E-M-I-E-R dancenetwork.com. New hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Corollis, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blog, Life of a Freelance Dancer, where I've been writing about working as a freelance artist for over four years. I also have two YouTube channels, B. Corollis, featuring my choreography, and Choreography, featuring my choreographic web series that tells the life-defining stories of professional dancers through revealing interviews and choreography. Thanks for listening in to Pod to Chat. I hope you return next Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.